Today, given the season, we're going to be looking at evangelical arguments for celebrating Christmas refuted. Uh, celebrating Christmas is a recent thing in evangelical history. It was something done only by Roman Catholics and Lutherans and Episcopalians. It was not done uh, by Baptists or uh, Presbyterians. But uh, we're going to look at this. I, uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to read from Colossians, and you'll find this very interesting. I'm only dealing with very sophisticated arguments. Colossians 2.8 Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Then 22, 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ in the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things that perish with the using according to the doctrines and commandments of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You'll see why I refer to that later. <clears throat> now, what happened was, it's not quite a while ago now, but I watched an episode of um, Wretched. It's called Wretched on YouTube. And generally, this show, Wretched, is basically, you know, dealing with things like, um, things that are obviously heretical, uh, like Joel Alstein and, Kenneth Copeland and that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, that when you're dealing with that kind of stuff, you're shooting fish in a barrel, basically, because it's so obviously unscriptural. And it's a pretty good show. It's very nicely produced and everything. But they did a show um, where they argued, basically, the supposition of the show is that if you don't celebrate Christmas, if you think it's wrong from a biblical perspective, you're basically an idiot. That's basically the, the supposition of this show. So I wanted to show that these guys are totally unbiblical and wrong, and I'll show you why. <clears throat> now, their main arguments are more sophisticated than most in this show, and I think it would be wise to examine them and a few others to show that their, their exegesis, their reasonings, their interpretations are simply false. They're in error. The first main argument, and I think this is a slick argument, but the first main argument is that it must be okay to celebrate Christmas because Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. That's the argument, and I've heard that before. And this is their main argument. Hanukkah is not commanded in anywhere in Scripture. It was made up by the Jews during the intertestamental period. So let us know what this feast commemorates and then examine if Jesus actually celebrated Hanukkah as a special religious holy day in addition to what the ones commanded in Scripture. In the Gospel of John, it is called the Feast of Dedication. Some old texts will call it the Feast of Renewal. And what it was is, well, let me tell you about Hanukkah then, and then we'll continue. The institution of the Feast of Dedication is described in 1 Maccabees 4.59. That's an uninspired part of the Apocrypha. It's not inspired, it's not Scripture but it does give us some interesting facts about history. Antiochus Epiphanes, in the pursuance of his policy to establish one religion throughout his empire, he's one of the descendants uh, after uh, Alexander the Great died, so this is a Greek empire. The Greek empire was divided into four, four empires that were all Greek. <clears throat> Had forbidden the Jews to maintain their ancestral or biblical religion, and laws. He ordered them to conform to the pagan worship of Zeus, the chief god among the Greeks. The climax of his attempt to eradicate the Jewish religion and worship was to set on the altar of Jerusalem temple, in the Jerusalem temple, a pagan altar, and most scholars believe that it had an image of Zeus in the, in the temple. And, the image, and they all are in agreement that the image of Zeus, the face of, the, of Zeus, had his face on it. And Tychus Epiphany's face was on Zeus's, the statue of Zeus in the altar. And um, <clears throat> this occurred on the 25th of Kisli, which is December 25th, 167 B.C. On this day, sacrifice was offered on the altar. In a heroic series of military encounters, Judas Maccabeus, 
Judas the Hammer, he's called, led the Jews to victory over the forces of Antiochus. The desolated temple was cleansed and refurbished, according to the law, on the 25th. Kislev, 164 B.C. So, we're talking three years later. On the 25th of December, 164 B.C., sacrifice was offered according to the law of God on the newly built offer for burnt offering. The people rejoiced and rededicated the altar for eight days, and it was decreed that a festival will be held on each year for eight days beginning on the 25th of Kislev, which is December. Okay, that's where Hanukkah comes from. And you can read about this in 1 Maccabees 4, 36-59. It is likely that in earlier times a festival celebrating the winter solstice had been held on that date. And uh, if you read my book on Christmas, it's about 160 pages or so. I go into all the the winter solstice, December 25th, that time, that, that week of the winter solstice is a high holy day of paganism in Rome, Greece, Persia, uh, the Germanic tribes, uh, the Yule Log, the mistletoe, the Christmas tree, all come from paganism. Its purpose was now adapted to commemorate the deliverance from Antiochus in the renewal of the temple worship. So it's called the Feast of Dedications, where they rededicated the temple to God and got rid of all the idolatry out of it and refurbished it. Some call it the Feast of Renewal. The festival was marked by its use of lights. Josephus called it a phota, the Greek word for light, where we get the word photon. The festival of lights, because, quote, such a freedom shone upon us. That's in, in uh, his Antiquities 12, 325. In 2 Maccabees 1, 9, it is called the Feast of Tabernacles of the month Kislev. 1 Maccabees uh, 1.9 mentions the lighting of the temple lamps at the rededication, as the later rabbis did yet more emphatically. Unlike tabernacles, the festival could be celebrated at home. A lampstand with eight lights was used. According to Shammai, the eight lamps were lighted on the first day, and one light was extinguished each day until there were none. But according to Halil, one of the great rabbis, one lamp should be lighted on the first day and one added each day till all eight, all eight were alight. And that is the practice of the Jews to this day. You see the Jewish candle stand, eight lights, December 25th, you light the first light, December 26th, the second light, 27th, the third light, etc. Rejoicing was the keynote of the festival and no mourning was allowed during its observance. <clears throat> and of course, it's, it's, it's been maintained till this day among the Jews. Now, the Feast of Dedication, which is originally was a special day of thanksgiving to celebrate the cleansing of the temple and the renewal of the true biblical worship, was a classic special day of thanksgiving, very similar to Purim. And we're going to discuss Purim a little bit later, because that's the second major argument. God was thankful, I mean, the people were thankful, for a specific deliverance from God that occurred in history. So it's something that actually happened, it's a historical event, and it merited a special day of thanksgiving, which the Bible definitely allows for and is taught in the Westminster Standards. It's what's called an, an occasional uh, time of worship, uh, days of thanksgiving. Well, let us note a few things about this Feast of Dedication before we examine whether Jesus approved of Hanukkah as a recurring man-made festival day. Okay, what these guys on uh, this, this uh, evangelical TV show, Wretched, are saying is, Jesus had approved of a man-made special holy day. Why can't we have it? That's their argument. First, note that it was a real historical event that occurred in December. The incarnation of Jesus and birth in Bethlehem was a real historical event as well. The incarnation, Jesus was born of a virgin. 
that Christ was not born in December. The Papal Church adopted December 25th in the 4th century to have a special day to compete with Saturnalia, which is a very popular pagan day in the Roman Empire. It was their chief day of worship, uh, pagan worship, uh, in the Roman Empire. In the Babylonian and Persian empires, they worshipped Tammuz, who was supposed to be born of a virgin in this, at the same time. And then, of course, in the north, um, they had a, a corresponding day in the north. There's corresponding, you have to understand, pagans knew, that were, that were intelligent, knew that the days were becoming longer. This was no, and their time was December 25th. It, it's actually a couple days earlier than that uh, when we have the winter solstice, but it becomes noticeable after a couple of days. And so December 25th became a high holy day among pagans. And if you read my book on Christmas, which is on reformedonline.com for free, or you buy a copy, uh, I have a very lengthy section showing all the pagan things connected with Christmas. <clears throat> so, the idea that Jesus was born December 25th has nothing to do with real history or any biblical command or obligation. Now, to argue that Jesus was born in December is a lie based on paganism, not scripture. And even Roman Catholic and secular scholars admit this. There's zero evidence that Jesus was born in December, and all the evidence points to him being born probably in September, in the fall. Second, having a day of thanksgiving for some special deliverance from God is certainly lawful and was practiced by all Protestants and even the Puritans who were the strictest, most biblical of Christians. For example, Dunkirk, World War II the miraculous deliverance of about 335,000 British troops that were completely surrounded by the Nazis. Uh, and if the Nazis had destroyed all those people or captured them and put them in camps, uh, Britain would have been hamstrung and the war World War II would have lasted at least another year or two. <clears throat> Churchill, in my opinion, Maybe he did, I don't know. I don't know. I've studied World War II, but I haven't studied it super thoroughly. But he could have called for a day of thanksgiving to the Lord for that special deliverance. Totally biblical. But it should not be made a recurring holy day. It's a special day of thanksgiving. You don't have worship services or anything. You get together and you thank God. What is not authorized or biblical, what is not authorized uh, by Scripture, is the setting up of an annual holy day that competes with the day that God has commanded in the Word of God. And that's the problem with Christmas. Now, tomorrow's Christmas. Everything's closed tomorrow. Pretty much. Everything's closed. But today, which is the real holy day, today the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, whenever Jesus appeared after the resurrection, he appeared on this day to the apostles. And if you read the, the book of Acts, uh, they met on the Lord's Day, and if you read Corinthians, Paul tells them, when you come together on the Lord's Day, uh, give you, bring your tithes to church. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The New Testament clearly teaches the Christian Sabbath. Now, according to Maimonides, probably the most prominent uh, rabbi at that time, the lighting of the lamps and the characteristics of Hanukkah came from a commandment from the scribes, that is, the Jewish scholars at that time. Annual religious festivals must be authorized by God speaking in the scriptures or they will be days competing with the day that God has authorized, Sunday, the Christian Sabbath. So, we don't celebrate Christmas. We never have. But, we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Christ by the Virgin Mary, probably around 4 BC, every Sunday. Every Sunday, not once a year every Sunday, as well as we celebrate the whole work of redemption every Sunday, the day of resurrection. In fact, Christmas is much more highly regarded and kept as a religious day by Americans, whether Roman Catholic or Protestant, than the Lord's Day or the first day of each week, which is required by Scripture. Now, I was raised strict Roman Catholic. My wife was raised Ukrainian Orthodox. 
and the Roman Catholic Church, you better have your rear end in church on on Christmas. And there were a lot of nominal Catholics. They they wouldn't bother coming to church on Sunday, but they never miss Christmas. Now I don't know what it's like today. Today things are probably not as strict as they were back then. When I was a kid, all the women wore head coverings. <laughs> That's gone. Feminism got rid of that. But it was considered a high holy day of Roman Catholicism. While most everything is open for business on Sundays, everything, uh, everything except the police, firemen, medical staff, and the military, and a few gas stations should be closed on Sundays. That's what the Sabbath teaches. The Sabbath is still binding. Go, go listen to my, I did a series on the Sabbath. It's very clearly binding, and it was kept by Jesus and the apostles. That's crystal clear if you study it. Christmas, which is not found in Scripture at all, which is based on a pagan holy day, the timing of it, and the, the paraphernalia of it, the tree, the mistletoe, the Yule log, those are all from paganism. Those are Northern European paganism, German, uh, the Germanic tribes, and the Vikings and so forth. Uh Everything's virtually closed on Christmas. Everything's virtually open on Sundays. So who's honoring God? Those who obey this, what God has commanded? Or those who obey what man has made up? Now, Doug Wilson, who's a pretty clever guy, um, said, well, what we do is... He acknowledges that it's pagan, basically, but he says, we cut down the tree and we bring it into our homes. We take dominion over the tree. That's his argument. <laughs> so you take dominion over the tree by killing it and throwing it away. If you study the Old Testament, what did they do with the remnants of idolatry? They had idolatrous earrings with little idols on them. They had statues. They had phallic poles. They burned them, they ground them to powder, and they would dump them in a river. There was a sacred site. They destroyed everything, and they made it a refuse dump. They didn't bring it into their homes and make it part of their worship and say, we've taken dominion over the day. The concept of the cultural mandate or, or dominion means, means that you apply the word of God to every area of life. It doesn't mean you syncretize with paganism. So Doug Wilson being as clever as he is, and he's a pretty good preacher, he, he, his stuff on the Federal Vision, of course, is heretical, uh, we reject it emphatically. Now, how do we know that special manual, ma annual man-made holy days are condemned by God? And that will be the question by evangelicals. God doesn't for, explicitly forbid it anywhere in the Bible. There's no specific command forbidding us from making up our own holy day. Is there? Well, there is actually scriptural proof that the old Presbyterian slash Puritan condemnation of, Christian, of Christmas was correct. The pastors at Geneva, where Calvin was, forbid the celebration of Christmas. The Puritans in New England made it, not only did they not practice it in church, they made it illegal. You'd go to jail if you celebrated Christmas. You'd be, church, you'd be disciplined by the church. It was illegal in Scotland. It was a matter of church discipline among the Puritans. And they're accused of, nowadays of being legalistic. Well, legalism is when you add to Scripture, not when you enforce Scripture. Well, let's look. The Bible does teach that it's wrong to make up your own stuff. And I'll just be very brief, because I've, I've, I've written, I have a whole book on this topic. Deuteronomy 4.2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. God does not allow us to make up ethics, doctrine, or religious ordinances. We are to simply follow what he commands. Strictly. Don't depart from the right. Don't depart from the left. Do exactly what God says. We're not to make up our own stuff. This commandment is repeated in Deuteronomy 12, 28-32, Proverbs 35-6, Leviticus 10, 1-2, 1 Chronicles 15, 13 to 15, Jeremiah 7, 31 and 19, 5. And of course, it's, uh, Jesus explicitly taught this in the New Testament. So you can't say, well, that was an Old Testament thing. That's another argument. Oh, that's in the Old Testament. They were stricter back then. That's Slissel's argument.
Jesus explicitly condemned the rituals added by the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 1 to 9, concluding, You have made the commandment of Noah commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Verse 6, verse 9, In vain they worship me, teaching us the doctrines, the commandments of men. Human tradition holds no authority, for it is human. Okay, the idea that churchmen have an intrinsic authority and they can make up their own holy days and their own church ordinances, their own forms of worship, is Roman Catholic and Episcopal. It is not Baptist or Presbyterian. It should not be part of evangelicalism at all. But the church is backslid. The church doesn't know these things anymore. Paul condemned man-made requirements as coming from the world in Colossians 2.20, as the commandments and doctrines of men in Colossians 2.22. He calls it will worship, self-imposed religion, which does not sanctify in Colossians 2.23. And Jesus even condemned reli religious hand washings because they were not commanded. How innocent can you get? They wouldn't even wash their hands before they ate because the Pharisees said you had to do it. They made it a religious ordinance. And Jesus says, we're not going to do that. And, and, the, and they wanted to know why. And he says, because it's not commanded in the word of God. It's a human tradition. You made it up. It has no authority. So he didn't say, well, we're going to do it to try to get along with the corrupt religious officials. He didn't say, well, we should do it to get along with people. He said, we're not going to do it. And they didn't do it. And what's more innocent than washing your hands? The passage that really condemns the annual celebration of Christmas is found in 1 Kings 12.33, where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, is condemned by God by making up a time for a feast day that is not found in Scripture, a day not first proved by Scripture. A time, and here's what it says, he had devised in his own heart, 1 Kings 12.33. Now here's a king. God split the kingdom due to Jer uh, Solomon's sin of marrying all these women and letting them have their little idolatrous chapels all around Jerusalem. So God poured out judgment, and the kingdom was divided. God divided the kingdom. This was a lawful king set up by God. But he, he didn't want the northern kingdom people going down to the temple because he thought they would be loyal to wow. Judah and not to his kingdom. So he started making up stuff. And it specifically says in the word of God that making up your own holy day is wrong. It says it right here. A king can't even do it. A civil magistrate doesn't have that authority. Only God has that authority. If God condemned a holy day made up by a king, and Jesus condemned anything added in the religious sphere not proved or commanded by Scripture, then we should have nothing to do with religious days made up by men, whether Christmas or calling something Easter, which is uh, an Englishized form of Ashtaroth, a, a pagan idolatrous worship, a fertility cult, even worse, days that were chosen to correspond with pagan holy days. It's bad enough that they make up the day. If God wanted to celebrate his Christmas, he would have told us to do it, and he would have told us the day. We, we don't know. Now we can infer that it was probably in the fall. Even worse, days were chosen to correspond with the pagan holy days. So the day's not commanded. The day is dishonest, it's a lie, and it is pagan in origin. Now, what does the Apostle Paul say about faith? What does he say about faith? Whatever of not is faith is sin. In other words, you're not sanctified by stuff that people make up. And he says that in Colossians chapter 2 as well. Faith has to be connected to divine revelation. Faith is not connected to human tradition. You can have all the faith you want in human tradition. It doesn't sanctify. It doesn't come from God. It comes from man. So those guys in that, that TV show, wretched, show me in Scripture where we're commanded to celebrate Christmas, and I'll celebrate it. But don't mock me and act like I'm an idiot because <laughs> I'm not doing something that's made up by men. But did not Jesus fully accept the made-up, non-authorized holy days by celebrating Hanukkah? Now, that's the argument. Let's get to the argument now.
This argument is easily refuted by two considerations. First, we need to look at the Hanukkah text in Scripture. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that Jesus was in Jerusalem celebrating Hanukkah? Then we'll consider the analogy of Scripture. The passage that supposedly proves that Jesus would approve of Christmas is found in John 10, 22. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's it. That's what it says. That the text actually presents zero evidence that our Lord approved or honored or celebrated Hanukkah as a recurring holy day cannot, can be noted in the following facts. Number one, there's nothing in the text that, Jesus said, that says that Jesus specifically went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Hanukkah. Or the Feast of Dedication. But merely that he happened to be there. Many commentators, such as Heinstenberg, Meyer, and Weiss, believe that he had been there since the Feast of Tabernacles. If we want real evidence that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, we would want a passage that says Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. All it says is, yeah, he was there. It's what we call this is a time, a, a time indicator. It's just simply telling us when Jesus was there, not why he was there. Two, the Feast of Dedication did not require attendance at Jerusalem. It's not like one of the Old Testament commanded feasts where the fathers and their sons, at the age of accountability, around 12 or so, would come to Jerusalem and celebrate the, feast, the Passover or whatever. It wasn't a commanded thing. It was, it was a, something you could do totally in your home. You didn't even have to go to Jerusalem. It could be celebrated in homes throughout the whole nation by lighting the candles or lamps. So clearly John is not making a statement regarding Jesus' attitude toward Hanukkah, but is simply giving us the time and setting of the addresses that follow. That's all he's doing. Three, even if Jesus did go to Jerusalem to be there during the feast, the chapter as a whole indicates that he went there to teach. There's not a shred of evidence in the text that he participated in any candlelighting ceremonies or rituals or lamp lighting. There's not a shred of evidence that he celebrated Hanukkah. The idea that Jesus was in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah is what we call, what theologians and expositors call, an argument from silence. It's a bad argument. It's an argument from silence. It is not proof. It rather is a presupposition. Now, if we follow the logic of this argument to absurdity, one could say that Paul went to the Areopagus to preach because he had a favorable attitude toward Greek philosophy. Okay, the Areopagus is where all the Greek philosophers all around Athens would meet and debate philosophy. That's what it was for. That, that's what they did. It was the debating society of pagan philosophers. But Paul went there to preach the gospel. The fact that Paul went there, does that prove that he agreed that Greek philosophy was good and he wanted to also add a little, some Christian doctrines on top of that? Not at all. Oh, they say, well, perhaps he was there to honor Plato or Aristotle. And the answer is absolutely not. He condemns all man-made philosophies in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. They're of the world. They're not biblical. Four. Most commentators who discuss the significance of the mention of the Feast of Tabernacle of Dedication argue that here Jesus dedicates himself to death. Pink, Lightfoot, Stocken, etc. In our Lord's discourse, he explains, if you read the discourse, he, he talks about election, the gospel, and perseverance. He also argues with the religious leaders and condemns them. He does not say one word about Hanukkah at all. It's like if I go to the parking lot, let's say the Super Bowl is held in Dallas and I drive down and I, I have somebody drop me off with a big bag of tracks and I'm in the parking lot after the football game passing out tracks or whatever and, and witnessing to people. That doesn't mean I approve of going to a football game on the Lord's Day. Doesn't mean that at all. 
What it means is, is I'm going where the audience is and I'm trying to get the gospel out. That's all it means. And then five, and this is critical, and this is, if you interpret scripture, we all need to know this. We should never choose an interpretation that contradicts the broad context of scripture or what the reformers and theologians called the analogy of scripture. The explicit teaching throughout the whole Old Testament, which was accepted and taught by Jesus and Paul, is that we are not permitted to add to our own ideas, or we're not allowed to add our own ideas or religious practices to Scripture at all. What did Jesus say to the woman? We worship, we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. The only acceptable worship is something that's done by the Holy, told by the Holy Spirit, not man. And the Great Commission. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He didn't say teach them all things that the church makes up as human traditions. And then, of course, Matthew 15 and Mark 7, where he explicitly condemns the traditions of the Pharisees. And then you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters Matthew 5 to 7, and he spends a huge section refuting their false interpretations of the law. So the whole teaching of Jesus Christ in Paul, which is totally in accordance with the Old Testament, is we're not permitted to add our own ideas or religious practices to scriptures at all. The role of pastors and elders is only teach and enforce what the Bible teaches and authorizes. That's called Protestantism. That's called biblical Christianity. That's called the Reformation. Sola Scriptura. The Bible alone is our standard, our authority for faith and life, for doctrine, for godliness, for worship, church government. Now, there are things that are audio offer that are circumstantial to life, like, you know, am I going to plant cherry tomatoes and beefsteak tomatoes, or am I going to plant early girl tomatoes? These kind of things are audio offer, and they're under the general rules of Scripture. But when we get into the sphere of holy days and worship, we better stick exactly to what the Bible says. Christmas is not in the Bible. In fact, it wasn't celebrated uh, in, in, the, in the Western Church until about 354 A.D., it wasn't authorized as a holy day until about 50 years later. The church began celebrating Christmas around in the 4th century, not because they discovered something in the Bible that the, that the apostles missed, that the writers of the New Testament missed, but because the church was growing corrupt through human traditions and syncretism with paganism. And if, I, There's a great quote from one of the early popes in there in my Christmas book. And he flat out admits, in writing, in a papal writing, that we adopted these pagan days to try to get more pagans in the church. It was a pragmatic move to appeal to pagans. That's all it was. And today, sodomites, Buddhists, atheists, Jews, secular Jews, everybody celebrates Christmas. Perhaps maybe Muslims don't, but Everybody, sodomites, lesbians, Christ haters, everybody celebrates Christmas because it's something of the world. It's not something from the Bible. All those religious things or practices which are not commanded or authorized by the word of God are not only automatically forbidden, they are also sinful because they place human traditions on the same level with scripture. The celebration of Christmas is an implicit acceptance of the Roman Catholic and prelatical concept of church authority. And I'll watch these religious shows on, on YouTube, like R.C. Sproul or somebody. And uh, nonstop advertisements for these mega churches around here, these big giant churches. And they not only have a Christmas service, but they put on a whole passion, they put on a big play and they have a little baby, a real baby, and they lift it up and they, they actually have, some churches will bring animals in the church. And uh, Schuler, the guy who had the Crystal Cathedral, they used to bring camels and stuff into the church and little donkeys and stuff in their church. Now, if we want to honor God, then we should exalt the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath, right? He has told us to do this. Every time Jesus when Jesus uh, appeared to the apostles, it was on the first day of the week. And every example of public worship in the New Testament is on the first day of the week. So if you want to honor God, you, you do what God tells you to do in the Bible. 
a day in which we honor and celebrate the whole work of redemption. If we want to exalt and honor sinful men who have corrupted the worship of God, the corrupt bishops of the Roman Catholic Church, who gave us Christmas, who made up a holy day, that corresponds to a high holy day of paganism, then we should all celebrate Christmas. And once again, the mistletoe, the tree, the Yule log, all of these things correspond to pagan religions. They all do. None of them have anything to do with the Bible. Now, there was a bishop called St. Nicholas who lived in what is now modern Turkey. It used to be called Asia Minor, who in, I think it was 550-something, would give out gifts to children and the poor. But all the stuff about him living on the North Pole and being omniscient and knowing all things and traveling all over to every child in the world one day, that's all pagan, made up. Now, ask yourself this question. Do I, a rotten sinner, saved solely by God's grace through Jesus Christ, have the authority to determine for myself ethics or what is right and wrong? And the answer of any Christian who's got a brain is going to say, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. I can't make something unethical that God says is ethical. I can't make something righteous that God says is not righteous. Do I, a sinner, have the authority to make up my own sacraments. Like the Roman Catholic Church, they have seven sacraments. The Bible only has two. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Can I make up my own sacraments? Can we have 30 sacraments or 50 sacraments? Do I have the authority to do that? And the answer is, if you're a thinking Christian, absolutely not. And evangelicals don't even try to make up new sacraments. Such practices would overshadow and smother what the Bible does teach and authorizes then why do you accept the idea that God accepts and honors a holy day that has nothing to do with Scripture? Now, I know there's the one, there's a popular argument in the uh, RPCNA. Uh, well, it's a secular day. It's just, it's not a holy day. It's a secular day. Well, they have church services on the day. It's called Christ Mass. The Mass of Christ. Anything associated with Jesus Christ intrinsically, by nature, is automatically religious. We're not talking about, oh yeah, today uh, George Washington was born and he cut down the cherry tree or whatever on the same day. Uh, remember that. We're not talking about that. The 4th of July, it's a purely secular day. But this is a day associated with the Son of the living God, the one who created the whole universe, the Savior of mankind. If God wanted us to celebrate the birth of Jesus as a special, separate holy day, then he would, number one, and this is rather super obvious, he would tell us the exact day that Jesus was born. And we know that it was not in December, for shepherds do not sleep out in the fields in the middle of winter. Luke 8. Yes, it's a warm Mediterranean climate, but you go to Bethlehem in the middle of December, it's raining all the time, and it's about 45 degrees, and they're not out there sleeping outside with the sheep. They're just not doing it in December. And that's acknowledged by all competent scholars. <clears throat> Moreover, given the fact that the priesthood, the age begins at, uh, at the, exactly the age of 30, Numbers 4.3, Jesus' ministry lasted exactly three and a half years, Daniel 9.27, and he died in the spring at the time of the Passover, John 18.39, fall, probably September. So if you're going to try to figure out when Jesus was born using the Bible, you'd have to pick September. If you're honest, be honest with yourself. You know, the arguments that he was born in December are ridiculous. One argument is, well, you know, a lot of lambs give birth in December. He's the Lamb of God. So he must have been born in December. That's, that's ridiculous nonsense. Oh, the angels celebrated the birth of Jesus. We should too. Well, we do celebrate the birth of Jesus every Sunday. But the angels didn't have a recurring holy day on that day, and we don't know what day that occurred. It was a one-time historical salva salvation event in history, the incarnation, and the angels sang and, and appeared and all that sort of stuff. That happened once. It didn't happen every year. What gives church authorities the right 
to arbitrarily pick a day that actually contradicts all the biblical evidence. The Messiah and his redemptive work is the most important. He's the most important person, and his work is the most important history in all of human history. There's nothing more important than Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. If you don't know that, you're going straight to hell. If you don't believe it, you're going straight to hell. It's the most critical thing that we must know and believe. Jesus is truth itself. And he came to return us to God's truth through the gospel and the completed canon of scripture. To pretend that Christ was born on December 25th, when that is not true, is anti-truth and highly offensive to God. It's just not true. Faith. Read the book of Hebrews. Read Romans. Faith grasps onto scriptural truths. We're talking about the faith that God approves. Faith in human traditions doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't do anything for you. There's people that have faith in Buddha. There's people that have faith in Krishna, if he even existed. There's people that have faith in Muhammad, a rapist and a murderer. There's people that have faith in Charles Manson. Faith, if it does not have a proper object which comes from the word of God, is worthless and even dangerous. Fairy tales <clears throat> are fine for children's books and entertainment. But they have no place and must never be mixed with the most important historical and theological truths in human history. And I remember I was uh, witnessing to an older gentleman when I lived in Pennsylvania years ago. And I told him the gospel and the resurrection. He said, that's a bunch of fairy tales. That's a bunch of myths, just like Christmas and Easter. Well, he's wrong. Because Scripture does speak about the incarnation in his life, death, and resurrection. But Christmas is, the way it's set up by Christians, it's a lie. It's not true. Yeah, Jesus was born. But he wasn't born in December. Number two. If God... So Christmas dishonors and obscures the truth of the gospel. Number two, if God wanted everyone to celebrate Christmas, then he would have either given us an explicit command to do so, or he would give us a proved and scripturated historical example. That is, you could find an example of the apostles celebrating Christmas in the Bible. And the church is celebrating Christmas. We find him having public worship every Sunday. That's in the Bible. That's easy to prove. Paul tells it, he says... To all the churches in Galatia, when you come together on the Lord's Day, bring your tithes. So it wasn't just one church doing it. It was all the churches of the whole presbytery. In other words, we would look at the New Testament and see that all the apostles in first-generation apostolic churches were celebrating Christmas. Yet Christmas is not even mentioned in the Western church until 354 A.D., 8354. It's the first time it's mentioned. It was not adopted as an official Roman Catholic Holy Day until the 5th century, almost 100 years later. Yet even a casual reading of the New Testament reveals that the New Covenant Holy Day, authorized by God, was Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, commonly called the Christian Sabbath. That is by Puritans and Presbyterians. Every time Jesus appeared to the apostles after the resurrection, it was on a Sunday. And every time Paul or Luke mentions public worship in Acts and the epistles, it was always on Sunday. The Puritans call this approved historical example, and it is fully legitimate for divine warrant. So if you can show me passages where the apostles or the New Testament churches, when the Bible was still being written, were celebrating Christmas, I'll be happy to do it. But there are none. It came in through corruption through declension, through appealing to pagans with pragmatism. We're not to add or detract from the Christian Sabbath. Christmas is humanistic and does not honor Jesus or God because God never told us to do it. When God condemned the false worship of the Jews, he said, this is Jeremiah 731. It's repeated in 195. And also when you get a chance, look at Leviticus 101 to 2. 
which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. In other words, in other words why are you doing this? I didn't command this. It didn't originate with me. If it didn't originate with God, it does not please God. It's humanistic. It's made up. It's a human tradition, which Christ condemned, Paul condemned, Moses condemned, Jeremiah condemned, Isaiah condemned. In addition, it is one thing to make up a holy day out of thin air that contradicts the biblical record concerning Jesus' birth. Such a thing involves spreading and propagating a lie regarding the sinless Son of God, which is a violation of the Ninth Commandment. It's a lie. We don't make up stuff and pretend it's true. But to take a high holy day of paganism, the day of Tammuz among the Babylonians, Jupiter among the Greeks and Romans, Mithra, Saturn, Hercules, Bacchus, Odin, Adonis, Saturnalia, etc., and then lie, making that day Jesus' birthday when it is not, is syncretistic and exceptionally offensive to Jesus and God. Now here's an analogy that'll help you understand why it's offensive. It's highly obnoxious and offensive to God and Christ. Let us say that you marry a beautiful Jewish woman who's a Christian. She's your wife. Let's say that your wife was born September the 14th. That's her birthday. Let's say that your wife, her grandparents were killed in the Holocaust, in Auschwitz, in the gas chambers, by the Nazis. Your wife is a wonderful Christian. You love her. And of course, her birthday's in September the 14th. But you decide that from now on, you're going to celebrate her birthday on Adolf Hitler's birthday. Would that arbitrary, inaccurate change to a day that your wife emphatically hates and rejects be pleasing to her? Would it be pleasing to her? And the answer is obviously not. She would be outraged. Well, what does God think when you take a pagan day and you pretend it's Jesus Day? What does God think about that? Look at what God did to the idols in the Old Testament. They were burned and ground to powder. They were tossed into streams. Sacred sites that were pagan were completely obliterated. <clears throat> and this analogy fits Christmas perfectly, where Jesus' incarnation is arbitrarily, inaccurately, and unbiblically shifted to a pagan festival day. It shows that Satan is evil, clever, and likes to make a mockery of Christian worship. It teaches us that we need to strictly stick to what the Bible says. The fact that Christmas is incredibly popular and is accepted by the vast majority of people, does not make a bit of difference in God's sight. Let God be true in all the world a liar, Paul says. If the world is wrong, it's wrong. I don't care if 99.9% .9 of people approve of it. I don't care if all the churches approve of it. God doesn't approve of it. And that's what matters. He didn't command it. It's dishonest. It's made up. It's humanistic. It was an attempt to please pagans and get them to join the church without real faith or a genuine conversion to Christ. You've all, you're all familiar with the church growth movement. Let's have rock and roll bands and puppet shows and put on skits and the pastor will preach really short sermons, about 20 minutes. He'll crack a ton of jokes. He'll have all these wonderful stories and he'll get up there and he's funny and he's good looking and he sings some songs and we'll get our churches filled with thousands of people. Thousands of unregenerate people who don't even know the gospel. And I say, what good is that? What good is that? If you want to be an entertainer through pagan pragmatism, go join a rock band or something. But don't corrupt the worship of God. Well, what about the Feast of Purim? The other main argument will be very brief, for Christmas comes from the Feast of Purim. 
The basic argument is that the Jews simply made up their own annual holy day to celebrate or commemorate their deliverance from Haman. You know the story. The king needs to get married. He's having a contest. Who's the most beautiful woman? So Mordecai, I forgot, is he the uncle? He's, I know he's related. He's the, the uncle of Esther. Says, hey, Esther, I need you to go compete. And she wins. She was the most beautiful girl in the kingdom. But you see, Mordecai's a prophet, and he's doing all this stuff because he know, God knows that the Jews need to be delivered from Haman, who wanted to literally, literally, like Adolf Hitler, exterminate every Jew in the whole empire. Now, <clears throat> the argument is if they can make up a new annual holy days, then so can we. Now, this argument is better than the last one is at least it's in the Bible. But it is still based on false presuppositions. So note the following problems of this position first. The Feast of Purim came into effect when the canon of Scripture was still open, but the Bible was still being written, and there were still prophets who could reveal new revelations. Christ, the last apostle died probably in late, the late 60s. And if you believe in the late date for revelation, which I do not accept, but if you believe it, then the, script, the canon of Scripture was closed by 95, 96 AD. So Christmas comes in two and, a half century, two and a half centuries after the apostles are gone. Now the older commentators all regard Mordecai, who is instrumental in placing Esther in a position to intercede for Israel, who becomes the prime minister as a prophet. Uh, this holding, this holiday is found in scripture and cannot be compared to Christmas, which was invented almost 250 years after the death of the apostles. See the difference? You got Mordecai, who the vast majority of scholars regard him as a prophet. He probably wrote the book of Esther. He's the one directing Esther what to do. He, it's his, and he becomes the prime minister. Comparing Christmas to Purim is like comparing flawless diamonds to cowpuggy. There's no, they're not the same thing. Scripture's open. You got a prophet. It's in the Bible. We have a historical example from Scripture, written by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, there's more of an argument for Christians to celebrate Purim than there is for Christmas. Although Purim is an Old Testament day, and now we only celebrate the Sabbath. And then second. The Feast of Purim celebrates a real historical event in Israel's salvation history. For example, the Jews' deliverance was necessary to preserve the line of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's why it's a crucial book. The line of Jesus is preserved. The whole salvation of the world was at stake. It wasn't just some interesting thing about the Jews. The whole salvation of the world was at stake. And it was ordered as a day of thanksgiving by a prophet, who happened to be the prime minister, and the queen. Now, the birth of Jesus, of course, is a real historical event in history. But, and we do celebrate it every week, but we are taught by Scripture to celebrate it every Sunday, not as an annual pagan holy day, which is a lie. See the difference? Moreover, it, Christmas dishonors God by mixing paganism with the true religion. I actually watched on YouTube, it's on YouTube, Bill Maher, the left-wing, fornicating Satanist, who's anti-woke at least, did a whole segment on how phony Christmas is. And he had all this research, and he, connect, he showed it comes from the worship of, he named like six different gods, <laughs> pagan gods. And he said it's all a bunch of baloney. Roman Catholic scholars, modern ones, agree. Secular scholars, agree. Honest Protestant scholars, agree. Why are, we, why are you celebrating it? If it's pagan. If it's made up. It certainly can't please God. And then third. Purim corresponds to a national day of Thanksgiving, not to a special Levitical feast days or holy days that had public worship services. The events of Purim are, and this is from Esther 8.17, it's repeated in 9.22, joy and gladness, a feast, that is a large meal, and sending portions to one another and gifts to the poor. 
Okay, somebody needs some food, send them some leftovers. Give them, give them some gifts. That's what it was. There were no Levitical or priestly activities. There were no calls to public worship. There were no special worship services where the theme was pure aim and they did some ritual. <clears throat> Moreover, this day of Thanksgiving did not come about because church officials had a meeting and decided to invent another holy day. The day of Thanksgiving was decreed by Mordecai, who was the prime minister and a prophet. Remember, he, Haman was going to be in charge and he was going to kill all the Jews and then God saved him and Mordecai took his place. And of course, the Queen Esther. And then fourth, given the analogy of Scripture, what, we, what the Puritans called, uh, we call it the Puritan principle of worship or the regular principle of worship, if it was purely made up Holy Day by church authorities, like the Roman Catholic Holy Day of Christmas, <coughs> that has almost universally uh, been adopted by corrupt Protestant churches, so wretched, the show Wretched should do a show on the wretchedness of Christmas. And I asked them to refute this. If you, if you know about them, if you, you're friends with them, send this to them and tell them to refute this. Mordecai and Esther would have forbidden it. That is a pagan day. For men do not have the authority to add to what God commands in doctrine, worship, or ethics, or church ordinances. It would have been condemned. This principle is not only found in the law, Deuteronomy 4.2, uh, Deuteronomy 12.28-32, Leviticus 1-2, See Genesis 4, 3 to 5 and Exodus 25, 40. It's condemned in the historical books, 1 Kings 12, 28 to 33, 2 Samuel 6, 3 to 4 and 6 to 7, 1 Chronicles 15, 13 to 15. The wisdom literature, it's condemned. Proverbs 30, 5 to 6, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. It's condemned in the prophets. Isaiah 8, 20. If they don't speak according to this word, Okay? In other words, if their preaching is not provable by the word of God, there is no light in them. Hmm. Jeremiah 7.31, Jeremiah 19.5, and it is also explicitly taught by Jesus Christ. Matthew 15.1-9, 28.20, uh, Mark 7.5-13, and John 4.24, and of course Paul, Colossians 2.8.20-23, and John. Revelation 22.18-19, although John's talking about adding supposed revelations of the Spirit after the close of the canon. So, while I agree with Wretched most of the time, especially when they're talking about these false prophets, your Kenneth Copelands and your uh, Joel Osteen's, I agree with them. And they're very entertaining. It's, it's, and these guys are pretty good. On this topic of Christmas, where they mock people who don't believe in Christmas, they're wretched. They're wretched. And they can't disprove anything I've said, and I'll debate any one of them publicly. Although I'm a peon, they're, they're not going to bother with somebody as small as me. But the question is, what say at the scriptures? And I'm just going to read a couple quotes from our heritage as a Reformed Christians, as Presbyterians. Just a few quotes, and we'll end. Now this is a, he's not a Presbyterian, but he is a uh, Puritan. Increase Mather, Nonconformist Minister, 1687, a testimony against profane customs. It is not a work, but a word makes one day more holy than another. There is no day of the week, but some eminent work of God has been done therein, but it does not therefore follow that every day must be kept as a Sabbath. The Lord Jesus has appointed the first day of the week to be perpetually observed in remembrance of his resurrection and redemption. And that, of course, includes the, the incarnation and birth of Christ. If more days than that had been needful, he would have appointed more. It is a deep reflection on the wisdom of Christ to say, he has not appointed days enough for his own honor, but he must be beholden to men for their additions. The old Waldenses witnessed against the observing of any holidays, besides that which God in his word had instituted. Calvin, Luther, Denaeus, Busser, Farrell, Verret, and other great reformers have wished that the, the observation of all holy days except the Lord's Day be abolished. A popish writer complains that the Puritans of England were of the same mind. So is John Huss and Jerome of Prague long ago, and the Belgic churches in their synod, Anno 1578. The Apostle condemns the observance of Jewish festivals in these days of the New Testament, Galatians 4.10, Colossians 2.16. Much less may Christians state other days in their room. The gospel has put an end to the difference of days as well as of meats. And neither the Pope nor the Church can make some days holy above others. No more can they make the use of some meats to be lawful or unlawful. 
both of which are expressly contrary to the scriptures. Romans 14, 5, and 6. All stated holidays of man's inventing are breaches of the second and the fourth commandment. A stated religious festival is a part of instituted worship. Therefore, it is not in the power of man, but God only to make such a day holy. Excellent. And of course, it was illegal in Puritan New England. Here's John Flavel. And this is from 1692. <clears throat> and this is his exposition of the Shorter Catechism. Are there any other days holy besides this day that is the Lord's day? Answer, no. No day but this day is holy by institution of the Lord. Yet days of humiliation and thanksgiving may be lawfully set apart by men on a call of providence, but popish holy days are not warrantable nor to be observed. Galatians 4.10, ye observe days, months, and times and years. Question three. May the popish holy days be observed. Answer. The popish holy days ought not to be observed because they are not appointed in the word. And by the same reason, no other holy days may be kept. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Thomas Vincent. This is from 1708. Whatever pretense there may be, devotion towards God, when there is no precept or example for such a practice in the Holy Scripture, it is expressly forbidden. Here's um, John McMillan, a covenanter, writing in uh, 1712. Instead of endeavors to extirpate superstition and heresy, as we are bound by the same articles of the Solemn League and Covenant, by the National Covenant to detest all superstition and heresy, without or against the word of God, the doctrine of the Reformed Kirk, according to the scriptures, Galatians 4.10, ye observe days and months and times and years, Colossians 2.23, which things have a need a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh, uh, Titus, and then Titus 3.10. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Yet in the darkness and the times of persecution, many dregs of Pope's superstition were observed. Many omens and frets too much looked to. Popish festival days, such as Pasch, Yule, that's Christmas, fastings even, etc., have been kept by many. And then one more, and then we'll stop here. This is from the testimony. Uh, Ebenezer Erskine, William Wilson, Alexander Moncrief, and James Fisher, founding ministers of the secession. Quote, instead of making progress in the work of reformation, we came in a short time to fall into the weight of some new and very heavy grievances. As for instance, countenance is also given to the superstition observation of holy days. By the vacation of our most considerable civil courts in the latter end of December. That's 1734. And then we'll do one more. This is John Wilson, Minister of Scotland. Uh, 1737. Were not these days appointed by the ancient church and authorized by great and holy men? And I attended Episcopal Seminary. That's the argument for these things. Well, they were appointed by the church and these were godly guys. And we should just do it because these godly guys say so. Answer. It was will worship in them, seeing that they had no power to institute holy days. For first, under the law, when ceremonies and festival days were in use, the church appointed none of them. But God himself Second, we read nothing of the apostles appointing or observing such holy days. Not a word in their consecrating a day for Christ's birth, his passion, or ascension, nor a day to Stephen, the protomartyr, nor to James, whom Herod killed with a sword. We read of the apostles observing the Lord's day and keeping it holy, but not of any other. Third, these other days are left unrecorded and uncertain, and so are concealed like the body of Moses, that men might not be tempted to abuse them to superstition. Fourth, these days have not the divine blessing upon them, for they are occasions of much looseness and immorality. Fifthly, through the observing of these days have been indifferent or unlawful at first, yet the defiling of them with superstition and temperance should make all forbear them. End of quote. And then just one more. This is the Reformed Presbytery. This is the Covenanters. Now, most of the Covenanters, what are called the Covenanters, they're not Covenanters, they're Covenant Breakers. The Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, which in the 1800s was called the Reformed Presbyterian Church in the United States. Uh, here's what they say. Quote, not to insist further in enumerating particulars, the presbytery finally testify against church and state for their negligence to suppress impiety, vice, and superstition observance of holy days, etc. The civil powers herein acted directly contrary to the nature and perverting of the very ends of the magistrate's office, which is to be custos et vindex utrisque tabulae, the minister of God, of an avenger to execute wrath on him that doeth evil. Transgressors of the first table of the law may now sin openly with impunity. And while all 
the religious observation of the Sabbath is not regarded. The superstition observant of holy days, even in Scotland, is so much authorized that in some of them the most considerable courts of justice are discharged to sit. End of quote. We'll stop there. So, that's my little open letter to the uh, evangelicals of wretched. They'll probably never hear this, but if they do, I hope it helps them. <clears throat> you have to understand that when churches decline over his, in history, the, the history of the church is a history of declension and syncretism, sad to say, among Presbyterians now. Uh, you've got conservatives in the Reformed Presbyterian Church in North America. You've got a few conservatives. You've got the uh, Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland, which is tiny. I think they have one church in Houston or somewhere. And then you get the continuing uh, Church of Scotland, which is really small. They might have five or six groups in the whole United States. They're the only people that don't celebrate Christmas that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's a couple of Reformed Baptist churches here and there. And there's a fairly new denomination that's Presbyterian that's adhering to this. Uh, but we live in a tragic time. Our job is to bow the knee to Christ in every area of life. And we're not to be doing things that are pagan, that are made up, that are bullpucky. We're not to do it. God's not pleased with it. Christ doesn't like it. It's sinful. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for today. Today we celebrate the birth of Christ, born of a Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, around 4 BC. We celebrate his sinless life, that he humbled himself, Philippians 2, came to earth, lived a life of suffering, humiliation, rejected by his own people. We celebrate that on, in our behalf, in our place, as a substitute, he suffered, was tortured, died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. All of our sins were imputed or reckoned to his account. He burned them out. He completely eliminated them, totally. And we thank you that he rose from the dead, <coughs> victorious over death, hell, sin, for us. For us. And for his imputed righteousness to our account. So when you look upon us, you see the righteousness of Christ, not our filthiness, our wickedness, which we struggle. We battle the flesh every day. We're far from perfect. We sin. We have to pray for forgiveness every single day. So we thank you so much for the whole work of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>